Okay, this morning, uh, we, need, we need to know how important it is to know who and what we should follow, especially in these times. Again, we've, we've said uh, previous to this, uh, there, there are a lot of Christians that we love and that we know and that I love and know, and then they get caught up in this political thing and they get caught up in a battle and, and thinking they have to do something. The best that we did was vote. Okay, we voted, and that was it. That was what we were given the freedom to do. And then God's plan's going to have its way, is it not? Is anything going to change it? So this, this is very important. Now, are the times that we are in, are they very, uh, are they very um, dangerous in the sense of leading Christians to fall away? Yeah. Yeah. Are they accused or condemned by Christ? No. Do we live in these dangerous, stressful times that we're in right now? Are we in them? Yes. Does that have to do with the plan of God? Well, yeah, it does. Only in the sense that he's carrying us through it all. Carrying us through it all. And, and so if I just read these particular ones here, these scriptures here, you see in Second uh, in 1 Timothy 4.1, now the Spirit, who is it? The Holy Spirit speaks. How does he speak? Expressly. Through the Word, correct? Through the Word, that's how he speaks. Through the Word, that in the latter times some will depart from the faith. Okay, and that's Christians at times. They can depart from the faith. Why? Because they've given heed to a seducing spirit. They've been seduced experientially away from Christ. How many battles has he ever lost? Did he finish every single battle in the plan of God? And is it just being worked out and manifested in time? Well, this is what it says. Giving heed to spirits that will seduce because of the teachings of demons. And then what? They, and they, what do these demons do? They speak lies and hypocrisy and, and seek for that to be in the conscience of the believer. You can see that. And then again in 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, it says this, know, this, know also that in the last days, okay, are we in the last days in the sense that we have one less day than we did yesterday? We're in the last days. Even with prophecy, understanding prophecy, and God's timepiece upon the earth, Israel, we know that we are, without any question, in the last days. Why? Because there's not one prophecy left for Christ to be fulfilled except to come back and implement the reality of his plan. That happens in time on earth, but it's bringing eternal realities into time. So there's going to be this also know in the last days perilous times will come. Dangerous, stressful, hard times will come. And we know the reason is men will be lovers of themselves. And then as a result, we see that all the way down to the 13th verse. But that's not where I'm going. This is where I'm going. And this is what Paul was saying. How were things in Paul's day? Were they dangerous? Were there any seeking to hunt him and kill him? Was the Antichrist spirit in 1 John 2.18 alive and well even then, early first century? What did they do to fight it? 
What did they do? They, did they get in the battle with it? Or was it just God's plan being worked out? Okay. This all has to do very, very importantly with, with the truth. So, in Jesus' day, let me ask you, in Jesus' day, what was it like? Was he hated? Or was he rejected? Did God foresee all of this in eternity past before time ever was in Isaiah 46, verse 10? He declares what? The end. The end of what? Time. From the beginning. That has to do with his plan. Settled. You know, Christ settled every single thing. In heaven, that's opposition in Christ. And on earth, that's millennial reign where Christ will come. And will finally on the earth, there will be peace. There won't be until he comes. And that's when we come back with him in Revelations, the 19th chapter, in those verses of 11 through 16. But for now, what are we to do? Well, this is what we're to do. And this is, these are the, the issues that are at hand for us, okay? These are the issues that are at hand. Now, this is what the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, was saying. He said this, Be you. Who's that? That's every believer. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. Be you followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. What was he saying? Follow me as I follow Christ. Right? We mentioned a couple of scriptures uh, last night. In Jeremiah 5, verse 5, it says, I will get me unto the great men of God. What makes them great? Because they got a great God in them who's finished everything. And he's very gracious. He's very kind. And... Uh, He's done everything and finished everything in them. It says, because they have known the way of the Lord. Notice that? And that's why it says again in Proverbs 13, 20, and this is very key in our growth, we need to know who we need to be around, when we should be around them, and when we should not be around them. That's Proverbs 13, verse 20. He that walks with wise men, okay, will be what? What will they be? What will they experience? Wise. They'll experience wisdom. Where does wisdom flow from? Love. It's a loving wisdom. It keeps us safe and secure and settled in him. So he that walks with wise men will, will be wise, but a companion, those that can make themselves companion, a, a companion of what? Fools will be what? Will be destroyed. Now who's a fool? And can we as believers in Christ in our experience function as a fool? We can. Now, here's what a fool is in the Bible. And again, when, we, when a Christian functions that way, is God condemning him or accusing him because he's in Christ? No. But will he lovingly deal with his behavior as far as his experience? Will he? And in that dealing, is God against them? How could he be? He'd have to be against Christ. So here is Proverbs 18, verse 2. A fool has no delight in understanding. And really, you know, you know who a fool is? is his, his understanding and his source has everything to do with himself. And a Christian can function like that too. Has everything to do with himself completely apart and severed experientially, not positionally, but experientially severed, severed from Christ. A fool has no delight in understanding. And let me tell you something. Understanding takes years. It takes time does. It takes time. And it takes a lot of patience, too. But that his heart, and what's heart here? It's the Hebrew word lab, L-E-B. It's his mind. His whole thinking process is what? 
may discover itself. <laughs> his discovery is not who he is in Christ. His discovery is himself. Does God have to allow that at times? Yeah, that's Jeremiah 2.19. He, he allows, and when we refuse grace, which any of us can do, probably have done, he uses our backsliding to correct us, just like in Jeremiah 2.19, just like he did to the prodigal in Luke, the 15th chapter. He had to come to the end of himself. The end of himself was his helplessness and hopelessness, and it was brought out in picture with the rags that were on him. Now, a fool. Who is a fool that has no delight in understanding? And this is who it is. It's a person, literally, and it can be, it certainly is an unsaved person, but it can be a saved person not functioning properly in their experience. Because who does, who does Satan deceive in Revelations 12, 9? He deceives the whole world. Who's the whole world? Those human beings who are under him. Knowingly or unknowingly, they're under him. Now, this is what it says in Psalm 10. This is what it says in Psalm chapter 10. Psalm 10, verse 4 says this, the wicked. Now, when it says the wicked here, you know, it's, it's, it's literally saying the unbelieving. Those that don't, do not believe God. Can we function like that in our experience? We're in Christ. Our position is unassailable and unchangeable. So what does the enemy seek to assail and go after and attack? Our experience through lies. The wicked, in Psalm 10, verse 4, says that through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. It says God is not in all his thoughts. Really what it's saying is God is not in any of his thoughts. Why? His whole thought is himself, or he thinks so, but he's under Satan. Then we have Psalm 50, and this is in the way of what I posted God had me post this morning in the way of there's two things that you can't be separated from with the teaching and preaching of the word in Christ. It is warning and encouragement. They go hand in hand. They go in absolute hand in hand. Now, this is what it says in Psalm 50. And verse 21, and I'm going to read it to you. And this is what it says. Okay, Psalm 50, verse 21 says this. These things have you done, and I kept silent. I kept silence. You thought that I was altogether such a one as yourself. Think about that. That's... But I will reprove you. God, you know, honestly. And we in love, all of us, and God reproved me and dealt with me this morning. And I want to make that crystal clear. He most certainly did. But when believers are in the flesh, do you think they like to be reproved? They get extremely defensive and angry and irritated. Okay? Do we, does this the flesh in any area love to be reproved? No. No. So when they're reproved and they, and they don't understand loving discipline, when they don't understand that, what do you think they're going to do? They're going to withdraw. What's they're going to do? They're going to withdraw into themselves. And you know what they're going to do? They're going to, they're going to look for another place. The truth of the matter is when we're not going forward is the neutrality in Christ. No, we're going back. That's true for any of us. When I say us, I'm me, me, all of us. 
These things have you done, and I kept silence. You thought that I was altogether, right? You thought that, that what? That I was altogether just like yourself. Just like yourself. But, but, what will happen? I will reprove you. How does God do that for us and to us? How does he do that? It's through the word. It's through the word. Honestly, look at these scriptures. You think now in Israel, when this was said to them, we're in a completely backslidden state. The whole nation was in a completely backslidden state. You know what he said to them? Nobody was speaking to them and wanted in their experience. It was Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, the thoughts of peace and not evil, so that you can experience and function in my settled plans for you. But here, this was spoken to them. This was spoken to them. Listen to this. This is Jeremiah 23, Verse 24, it says this, Can any hide himself in secret places that I will not see him? I'm mad. I'm mad. We're in the flesh. When we're in the flesh and we don't receive and understand and submit to loving chastisement, what are we going to be like? We're going to rebel. We're going to rebel. Because God is going to bring out, which he did, which he was doing in all of us, Yesterday, he's going to bring out areas of independence. Yes, just is. Why? Because he's against us? <laughs> or he's for us? He's for us. You know, 1 Samuel 15, 23, for rebellion is as what? Witchcraft. And stubbornness is what? Is idolatry. Some would think this. Oh, I don't need him. Seriously, I don't need him. And it's not me. It isn't me. I'm just the vessel. It's Christ. That's what you're saying. You don't need God. None of us need God, do we? Nah. <laughs> Look what he says. Look. This is Jeremiah 23, 29. Is not my word like as a fire? The word comes, the preaching and teaching comes, and it starts consuming areas that are not of who we are in Christ. Why? So we have a proper image, a proper experience about who we are, truly. But is not my word like as a fire? Oh, the fire comes? Oof. I don't like that. Is not my word like as a fire? Jeremiah 23, 29 says the Lord. And like a hammer. <laughs> that breaks the rock in pieces. What's the rock? It's the area where you resist. It's the area where we think that those... That God has put over us as guides in Hebrews 13, 7, that we should obey and submit to. Okay? We rebel and we're against them because we think we're opposing them. There are those, I, I know, I'm going to tell you straight right now here in our little thing. There are those that think that I was opposing them. But you know what? That's not what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says they aren't opposing me, they're not opposing God. And they're not opposing themselves. They're, they're not opposing God. They're opposing themselves because God's for us in Romans 8, verse 31. It breaks the rock in pieces. What? The areas of independence, the areas of pride, the areas of rebellion and stubbornness. And we like that. Don't we? <laughs> no. But we sure do love the outcome. Now, this is what, this is why we preach Christ. 
Paul said this, Be you followers of me, even as I am also of Christ. Now, verse 2, Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things, and keep the, the, the teachings, really, it says ordinances, but all the teachings, as I have, teachings about who the person of Christ is and what he's accomplished, as I have delivered, what? To you. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. How does, how does God get sense into the heads of his people apart from the word and first and foremost dealing with these things? Do you think that any of us in the flesh, listen, us, and again, that includes me, do you think any of us, do we think in any way that God's plan before we were born also has to do with dealing with areas of the flesh when we're in Christ? From eternity past, this is Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. He's speaking to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the belly, and you can see that in Psalm 139, you can see 13, 14, 15, and 16, and probably right up to 17. Before I formed you in the belly, your mother's womb, I knew you. Look at that. Isn't that awesome? And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you, and I set you as a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, I can tell you how many times I say this. <laughs> then said I, ah, Lord, behold, I cannot speak. I'm just a child. In other words, I don't know these things. Like I ought to. I know you don't. Now go down and preach and teach. <laughs> okay. Okay. But the Lord said unto me, say not, I am a child. For you will go to all that I will send you. And whatsoever I command you, you will speak now, this is what he said in verse 8. Be not afraid of their faces. Oh boy. And I, people, listen, people don't have to be present and face me to know that their faces in, in an area when they felt like they were cut off and left out, that I be not afraid of their faces. That in, I want to make it crystal. Listen, honestly, I love everybody here. There's no question about it. I can't function in a proper, experiential, intimate, individual relationship with Christ and be against a single believer. That would be sin. That would be sin. That's exactly what it would be. Okay? But he, but he said, be not afraid of their faces, because their faces will reveal why? The content of their thinking. It'll come out in the expression. It's called nonverbal communication. Okay, be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. See? Here it is. Verse, verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand. What does that always speak of? Grace. Who does he give grace to those that are humbled in James 4, 6 and in 1 Peter 5, verse 6? He put forth his hand and touched my mouth and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Now he put these words in, in, in the mouth of the, of the really the, 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 the preacher, the prophet then of Jeremiah and in those words, okay, was it for the people or against them? Watch what? Now, and being for them, what did he have to do? And what were the words that were in him as a vessel doing? Watch what it says. 
I put my words in your mouth. Verse 10 of, of Jeremiah 1. See, I have this day. What day is that? Like today, every day. What is a day made up of? Time. Should we redeem the time? How does that happen? See, I have set this day, set this day, this day set you over the nations and over the people. What? Listen, to root out. Area of independence, area of flesh, area of privately interpreting the word. Right? We can, any of us will do that in the flesh. To root out, flesh likes that, right? Mm hmm. Right? Listen to what it says. And to pull down, oh wow, these high thoughts that we have of ourselves apart from Christ, where no one has a right to tell us anything. Because after all, we don't need them. Okay. <laughs> You're not, and I wouldn't be opposing God or those that God has set over us. I would be opposing myself. To root out, to pull down, and to destroy. What? Destroy the areas of independence, the areas of pride and stubbornness, and to throw down. Oh, like that, right? Oh, I don't need anybody. <laughs> okay. Why? All this to do what? To build and to plant. Paul said, in, again, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be you followers of me, even as I am followers of Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the, the word, the, the truth, the positional truths of the word of the faith, as I have delivered them unto you. Because if they were delivered unto them, did God have to first deliver them unto Paul? Who's taking care of Paul? Christ. Is Paul getting away with anything? I mean, truly, if he loves Christ and, and, and understands uh, what he has in Christ, doesn't he not want God to deal with him? But that's God's business. That's God's business and his alone. Okay? We don't touch. We don't do that. Okay? Watch. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. So the word comes and shows areas and separates where men and women are functioning apart from a proper head. They're thinking in the wrong head. We're going to get into that, I believe, on, on, to, on tomorrow. And the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. So he said, follow me in that order. Follow me. Now, leaders. I'm going to talk about leaders uh, this morning. Leaders. <clears throat> it is their faith. Listen. It is their faith. What's faith? Absolute, complete, and total dependence upon Christ and his word and his leading. What makes a great leader? A great follower a continual follower of Christ. But leaders, it is their faith that carries them ahead of others. It's dependence. I've learned dependence, had to, for 46 years. And in, in this sense, has it carried me ahead of others? Yeah, that's what it says. It's carried me ahead of others. But faith, and here we go, faith, that's dependence, must be in the word of God and have this, and this alone, to justify itself to others. True guidance, then, is always by the Word, the Word that Christ is. And this is what preserves following 
from being a following of men. Now listen to me. We need to follow the right ones. And we, it wouldn't be that you would be against a particular believer or even a family member. It wouldn't be that you would be against them. But when they function in areas of disobedience, okay, if you think you can win them when you shouldn't even be there, they will win you. They will have a negative effect in you in some manner. That's why Jesus said in Mark 4, 24, be careful what you hear. That's why we need to be in the right place and be around the right folks. It's the truth, right believers. Not that anyone's any better than anybody, but certainly when, when, when others are not functioning better off in their experience in Christ, should we, we, should we be with them? And we shouldn't be. Doesn't mean we don't love them. It means instant love and prayer for them. So true guidance is always by the word, and this is what preserves following from being a following of men. Now, apart from this, following the right ones, we may go easily astray. When we do, God waits. He's silent. We saw that in Isaiah. We saw that in Psalm 50, verse 21. We can see it in Isaiah 30, verse 18. He's waiting to be gracious. But then he knows when, where, and how to start implementing loving chastisement in Hebrews chapter 4, 11, right through to verse 29. And then he enters into the reality of Psalm 119, verse 67. Before, before what? Anybody remember? Right? Let me read it to you. Okay? This is Psalm 119, 67. Before I was afflicted, that's what I wanted to get out. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now have I kept your word. That's, that's loving chastisement. That's loving chastisement. Right? Oh, I love it when God raises up the leaders and tells me all about the love, grace, mercy, and truth experience who we are in Christ, but when it comes to dealing with issues in the flesh, now I got a problem. <laughs> Your problem, the problem wouldn't be with leaders. The problem would be with God. Because even if those leaders weren't functioning the way they were, could God still use that as an opportunity to draw us to himself? Will he always give us a provision? And he does. So apart from that, apart from this, following the right men, we may go easily astray in the path of men. In other words, the path of others that think they have some counsel. The counsel they have was the rejection of the chastisement that God was implementing in their life, loving chastisement. They were refusing love, and now they want to give counsel. Where does that come from for any of us? Now, we can see this in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1, right through 21. In Galatians chapter 2, Peter, Peter, listen to me, Peter, was Peter in Christ? Was he an apostle? Okay. Peter led Barnabas astray. Read it. Was Barnabas a man of God? Was Peter? Okay. Did he lead him astray? Yes, he led him astray. Why? Because they stopped following right men and started following wrong ones. It is so important who we're with. And who we give our time over to. Okay? Peter led Barnabas astray. 
but Christ himself is the fullness of his word, this word, and that is the true. What's the true effect of ministry? What is the true effect of it? In other words, the true experience. It's always exalting Christ. You get around someone, and they want to throw up in your ear, I didn't like this. Who did this person think he was? Is that exalting Christ? Bye, sweetie. Is that exalting Christ? In any way is it exalting Christ? What is it exalting? The flesh, where there's no thought of God in them at all. Right? Listen. It's necessary that Christ is always exalted in our experience because Christ is the measure of all that is true riches for his people, but that involves accountability. When I don't want to be accountable, I fall, fall very far short of the proper experience of the riches of Christ who's in me. I fall very short. I do. Now, here's the reality as we wrap this up. Okay, here it is. He, Christ himself, in the details of life, in the circumstances and situations, and in the particular place where we are, Christ himself is the test of all true doctrine. What's that mean? What I really believe and submit to and experience. He is the test of all true doctrine. He is the object of all real faith dependency. That's right. Now, and that was brought out. I want to tell you very clearly yesterday night. I want to make that crystal clear. Very clear. And it put everybody in, in, in the place of opportunity for Christ to be exalted. Right? Because, I mean, Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they that love the word. And nothing will cause them to stumble. Nothing will cause them to be offended. If I'm offended in an area, what is that area that I'm functioning in? My own thoughts, which is the flesh, under the prince and power of the air in Ephesians 2, 2. Here it is. Now, because of this, Christ is the object of Satan's constant, intense hatred. When a believer functions in the flesh in disobedience, it is the result of him, whether they know it or not, is this constant, intense hatred. Why? Because Christ is in them. Christ is in them. Is that the measure that God is for us, that he's gave his son and he's in us? And yet we're against him. Yet I would be against somebody else. Yet I would know someone after the flesh. Does that mean that, I, that it shouldn't be dealt with? I mean, would it be love if the preaching and teaching didn't deal with it? Would that be God's love? No. You know what it would be? It would be the measure of preaching a personality rapport. In other words, you're trying to win someone through your flesh and win them flesh to you and leave Christ out and call it fellowship. Boy. Boy, oh boy. I'm just very thankful for what we all have in Christ. I just want to make that very clear. Listen, Satan himself is unwearied in his labor to present to the natural mind, to the natural taste, a variety, a variety of things of the world to capture them and cause them to wander in their lust patterns and to go away from the true way, Christ. 
That's crystal clear. That's why it says in 1 John 2, verse 15, over and over again, love not the world. Stop loving the world. Neither the things that are in the world. Listen, the things in the world are not bad in themselves, but when they're taken by a believer and they replace Christ, do they, in that sense, become evil? That God meant to bless us, to draw us to himself. To think that only, to think, some to think that all God wants to do is give them things, but yet not be intimate and give himself to them in their experience. I don't know. That would be like a parent giving their, giving their child every gift that the child ever wanted, but not having a relationship with them. And in loving chastisement, a loving parent dealing lovingly with a child, is there going to be things of discipline? I mean, is there proper growth and experience without it? Listen, the truth of the matter is, is this. This is what Judaism, legalism in the law. Remember we said in Exodus 19, verse 8, and Exodus 24, and verse 3, that Jews, the Jews said to God, his chosen people, said to God, tell us what to do and we'll do it. You know, if God left up to us alone, on our own way, to do what the Word tells us to do, you think we would do it? I guarantee you we would not. We wouldn't do it. That's why submission and dependence is so crystal clear in the Bible. But Judaism, Judaism is the trial of that way. Because you read your Old Testament. What were the Jews the whole time they were in the wilderness? Rebelling, stubborn, murmuring against the leaders, blaming Moses for everything. Or blaming each other. Or blaming others. The whole time, look in your Bibles, read it. The whole time, they were in the world system, the wilderness, which is a type of that, the world system. The whole time, that's what they were doing. And Judaism was the trial of those that were living that way. You know, because this is what the law and the law only was doing. And if you want to see the proper implementation of the law, we can see that in 1 Timothy 1.9. And we can see it in Romans the 12th chapter, uh, Romans 7, 12 through 15. We can see it crystal clear. Why God gave the law to the Jews. God gave the law to the Jews. They thought that they would take it apart from him and eke out their own righteousness, which could only be self-righteousness, which in turn would only justify self and not God in Job 32, 1 and 2. God gave it to prove to them this, that the law pointed beyond itself to Christ. That's right. God needs to deal with areas in any of us in the flesh where we're independent. And that's what he was doing. I want to make it crystal clear. That's what was happening yesterday. It was. And I am not excluding myself in any measure. But I am speaking it from the presence of God. That's what was going on yesterday. There's no question about it. Now, so, but here we see this. Satan... Satan has evil skill. It really isn't skill if it's evil, but he thinks so because he is insanely deceived, an evil genius. He thinks he is. But there's satanic skill because this is what Satan does. 
He wants to take out of Judaism. In other words, teaching the flesh that you can do, the Christian, teaching the flesh that you can do these things. You don't need God's order, God's way, God's men. You don't need them. You don't need them. Huh, I'll teach them. Yeah, I'm going to teach me. I won't read the post. I'll teach them. I might not come for a while. Well, God bless you, please, until you get right, don't come. <laughs> okay? Because who needs to smell that? <laughs> Satanic skill, Satan's skill is to take out of Judaism, which is fleshly works, the human, listen to this, natural element. Why? Because in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the natural man, what? Receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Neither can he know them. He thinks they're foolishness. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned and you won't have discernment without brokenness. And unless our wills are broken and yoked up to Christ, we're just living in rebellion. The pride of rebellion and the pride of stubbornness. Any of us will. So the satanic skill to take out of Judaism, the human natural element which has been on trial and condemned, the flesh, ignoring the condition of the flesh in rebellion. When the words, ignore the condition of your flesh. Make yourself the issue. <laughs> oh, God. The function outside of Christ, that's the flesh. The function outside of Christ, outside of love outside of grace, outside of truth, and making that, listen to this, that, that God hates, the supposed thing that he loves. Uh, can I be deceived in the flesh and think that that's okay and think that God loves that and it's all right? Yeah, that's called deception. That's right. In Revelations 12, 9. Obadiah 1, 3, uh, Obadiah 3, through their pride, they're deceived. They lift themselves up Listen, listen to this. They lift themselves up about coming corporately, and I'm telling you the truth of the matter in this, and that's Hebrews 10, verse 25. They lift themselves up above that, above the word, above the cross, which crucified the flesh, and above the word, above leaders, and above Christ himself. That's pride. That's called huperithanos, lifting themselves up above others. Hmm. I don't know. You know what this is called? And, and making it. That's again, remember? Every thought is not God in Psalm 10, verse 4. Remember in Psalm 50, 21? You thought in your own thinking I was altogether like you. You thought it was okay. No, he said, but I will come and set those things in order. Thank God for that, right? Does God have an order for the church today? Does he? Does the flesh like to submit to God's order? Opposes it all day long. Where does that opposition come from? Yeah, from the flesh, under the prince and power of the air, under Satan, who hates Christ and the believer. You think... Hating Christ in the believer because you can't separate Christ from you and you from Christ. He's going to do everything he can to make your experience in the flesh to be 
miserable and constantly oppose God and oppose those that he's lovingly gave, gave us in Hebrews 13, 17 as guides to guide us into Christ and think that they can guide. You know, there's some here, right? I think they can guide themselves. A little devotional is enough. A little book. We don't need, we don't need them. Really? Well, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and I'll keep you in prayer, and I do. We'll wrap it up here. Still only quarter, 844. Wow. Listen, here it is. The system of Judaism, as man meant it to be in the flesh, is called, listen to this, a bastard system. The, fu- the flesh functions just like the Jews did in a bastard system. Okay? Romanism and countless other systems are bastard systems that keep you outside of Christ and Christ in your experience outside of you. Listen, this is what it says. In Hebrews 12, verse 8, he disciplines us. The fact that he lovingly disciplines us, like, like happened yesterday and in the night, who was doing that? Me? No. He lovingly chastises us. That's the proof of his love and the proof that he owns us. We're not us. We don't own ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we're not our own. Some think they are. We, I do whatever I want. I'll come when I want. Yeah. And if I don't feel like coming, yeah, I know. I didn't discern any of that. That wasn't going on. Okay, sure. <laughs> Did I have to discern that in my own life too and learn and have understanding in years, 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 decades before people were born? (laughs) Decades. God bless everyone. Listen. Bastards and not sons and daughters in their experience. Now, are we in our position in Christ? Is it unassailable and untouchable by the the enemy? Can't touch. What will he go after? my experience. There's where he wants the flesh so we don't function as sons and daughters in a specific order in Christ. Now, in Deuteronomy 23, verses 1 through 6, and in Zechariah 9, verse 6, watch what it said. Now, here's bastard, and I'm going to give you the Hebrew. Bastard is memzer, M-A-M-Z-E-R, memzer. This is what bastard is, it means, and this is what he means, to alienate and to alienate the believer from functioning in their position in Christ through submission of the will. Not equal in their experience to their their position in Christ. So he does it to alienate and to make us, literally, like a mongrel, like some deformed being. There's something that I'm missing. Uh, I'm deformed, a mongrel. Okay, and this is what it is. This is what it is here in the Greek. It's nophos, N-O-T-H-O-S, nophos. This is what it means, spurious, led away through errors, or illegitimate son, to function as an illegitimate son. That's what we are. That's how we function in the flesh. We function as an illegitimate son. What's a son? One who has a father, a loving father. One born out of lawful, listen to this, wedlock. Why do you think it's called wedlock? 
because that's our position in Christ. We're locked into him through what he accomplished and we're his bride, Revelations 19, 7 and 9, Revelation 21, 1 and 2 and 3. That's who we are. We are locked there in our position. But what is he teaching us in our experience? The reality of our position. Out of wedlock. Now, here it is. Bastard. And I looked this up. Here's bastard in the 1828 dictionary. It is a natural child. Remember? 1 Corinthians 2.14. The natural man, what? Receives not. Why? Pride, stubbornness. No, not going to do it. I don't need him. I'll show them. Yeah, I bet you will. I'll be praying for you in the meantime. Bastard, 1828. A natural child, a child begotten out of wedlock. Separated, not in our position, but in our experience. Illegitimate. Spurious. Listen, not genuine. Did you hear that one, not genuine? Is it any wonder God's plan is designed And we are in a school. It's called the school of suffering and affliction. That's what it's in. That's what a lot of believers are having a problem with politically. (laughs) And the only way they can battle is get in the flesh. Flesh against flesh. Like their flesh, functioning in their flesh, is, is somehow better than the evil that those are that don't know Christ are functioning in the natural flesh. (laughs) God. They better read, and we all should read together, in humility, James 3, 3 through 8. Uh, John 3, 3 through 8. Listen, not genuine. God's plan's designed to humble us. The flesh likes that, right? That's going to stop God and his love, huh? I don't know. If your child misbehaved like that and you love him, what would you do? What would you do? It's designed to do, three, and it's in three phases. It's called enforced discipline. Enforced discipline. That means that's part of God's order and part of submitting to leaders that he's put over you. That's right. It's scriptural. 1 Corinthians 14, 40. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, all the way through to the 28th verse. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. These are the scriptures. These are the scriptures that are telling what is being said right now. It's just as simple as that. So the first phase of child training and discipline of us, of of who we are in Christ, and are we all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus in Galatians 3, verse 26? Absolutely. But what's the first phase? Enforced discipline. Like it or not. Like it or not. What, because God's against us? God is against us? I have something against someone? Well, that's how the flesh will take it. And then they'll start opposing me. Are they opposing me? Are they opposing God? They're opposing themselves. Again, 2 Timothy 2.25. The first phase is enforce this. Like it or not, here it comes. Till it gets to what? Voluntary discipline. What's that mean? I might not feel like doing it, but I know in the loving chastisement, I know what God will do in his love for me (laughs) if I don't submit my will to him and put the yoke around and come unto him in Matthew 11, 28 to 30 and enter into the yoke that Proverbs in those first three chapters goes into exclusively in terms of the will. 
voluntary. I am going to submit. I may not feel like it. Listen, and that's why faith has nothing to do with feelings. It has to do with obedience apart from feelings. And when I obey, then I'll get the right feelings, the right emotions, when my thoughts are correct. And when I have the mind of Christ in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 16. Then the final phase is what? Genuine humility. And what is genuine humility? Uh, I loved, I loved to, would have loved to have said that to certain individuals last night. It's not thinking too highly of myself and competing and opposing and going against others and forgetting months and years of investment and love. <laughs> forgetting it in a heartbeat. Forgetting it. And, you know, God forbid we should fail one another, but when we do, even those failures of our own failures... Who we are? No. Romans 7, 17 to 20. Is the failures of other leaders who they are? Gosh almighty. Listen. Genuine humility is not thinking too highly of myself. It's not thinking too lowly of myself. It's not thinking of self, the flesh, at all. I'm functioning in the life that's mine in Christ. Not proceeding. It's But... What happens when we function outside of a, uh, a spiritual, experiential wedlock? Something in us is not genuine in our experience. It's not proceeding from the true source or from the source pretended. That's it. We either function in a true source or a source that's pretended. That's, that's Romans 12, 9. Let love be without uh, dissimulation is where we get our English word hypocrite. Stop pretending you love, you love others. I, listen, I can't love you when I function in the flesh. I don't have a source of love in my experience in the flesh. But doesn't mean that God doesn't love me still. He does, but am I experiencing it? Has God shut himself off from me? Has he? Well, James 4, 6, God resists the proud. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Do all things work together for the good to those that don't love God? Do they? No. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good, God's divine good, to them that loves God. And returning his love speaks of what? Obedience. And it's grace and truth that creates the obedience in us when we submit to it with our will. So spurious means it's not genuine, not proceeding from the true source or from another source that's pretended, that's counterfeit, false, adulterated and not legitimate. Oh boy, God is for us. He is nothing but for us. And you and I, you know, what is wrong? What, what would be wrong then? What would be wrong then with facing others in love, but in love, not the flesh, and facing them when they don't function in Christ? What's wrong with saying, listen, you know, I, I, I see you struggling. Let's pray. My God, if the person's transparent after Christ, you think they would do that? What's wrong with exhorting one another when we're commanded to do so? What, just put up with this behavior? Listen, if you can't, you, if, you, if, they, if their behavior they continue when is not of Christ, should you even be with them? Should you? Doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean they're not part of the body. But should you do that? I mean, in an area where a person's functioning in the flesh and disobedience, and God hasn't reached that place yet, 
If you're going to use you, you better make sure you're sent. Remember, that was Jeremiah 1, 5 through 10. You must be sent. But listen, when you can escape them and people are living in areas of disobedience as Christians, should you lovingly confront them? You can't escape. Should you? Do you think you should? Or just, ah, it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not. Because if you don't and I don't, you come under their authority and they become the, uh, the, the, your authority. It's truthful. Amen? God's for us, nothing but for us. I'm nothing but for people. Honestly. And God will use it. You know what? God, listen, God will even use the failures of others to discipline us in areas where we're failing in the flesh. The best thing that I can do the best thing and most comforting. Listen, you want to talk about love? I, I said the other day, I said, listen, no one can outlove the folks here the way I love them. I'm going to tell you that right now. They can, they can love equally, but they can't outlove. They cannot do it. They can't. And the reason is, is because when you preach the word, if you're doing it as a source from Christ, then you're not in the flesh with the word trying to win people to you. It's a big difference. Huge difference. We need to know the difference too. Again, so coming up soon, we're going to get back in. And again, are we teaching positional experiential truth right now this morning? Absolutely. And also too, and, and, and to what I posted too, as God led me to do so. And given the counsel, even, my God, he's given us counsel. Come on. Get all the counsel we want. Do we want it? Website set up by some superior geniuses. <laughs> well, they were genius in the sense they were functioning in gifts that I certainly didn't have. But on there's a hundred, hundred posts of the word, positional truth, experiential truth, and, and over a hundred recordings. Anytime you want it, any single time, and then posts every single day. Listen, am I glorying in the flesh? Nope. I'm glorying in the counsel that God has given me in every one of those areas where the word goes up. It does not bypass me, and hopefully it doesn't bypass you, because then we can have fellowship, where Christ is between us. Don't allow anyone, I don't care who that person is, allow them to come in between you and Christ and become the authority that you submit to in your experience. Okay? Love them. But listen, not, not legalistically in the flesh, but lovingly confront them. Lovingly. If, you know, honestly, if a person has a question, should, should they have the freedom in, in grace and meekness and in humility, should they, could they come to me alone and have me explain certain things? I invite you to all day long. It's honestly open invitation. I got nothing to hide. I got nothing to hide. There's, you know, there's nothing but transparency in fellowship. Listen to this, that keeps out submission. Uh, uh, keeps out suspicion, not submission, but keeps out suspicion. Because listen, in areas of the flesh where I don't, I'm living in areas of disobedience, when God's finger goes on it, I get, if I don't submit to him, I get suspicious of those that he's using and I start blaming them and thinking that I'm opposing them. Fact of the matter is, folks, listen, listen, by the grace of God, I'm all, I've been... By the grace of God, I'm a lot further down the road than, than the folks that are here. 
I didn't get there myself. <laughs> I had to learn. I had to fail. Thank God my failures aren't who I am, and neither are yours. And I don't see you in your failures. I don't. Right? See you in Christ. And love you very much. Amen? Amen. Amen.